Playlist with Ben and Fiona. A bit of time on Wikipedia. Um, I've actually found it fascinating. Hi and welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm SBS Channel Manager Ben Nguyen, and today I'm joined by a special co-host, SBS Viceland Channel Manager John Bohm. Hi, John. Hey, Ben. Great to be back. Yeah, so uh, great to have you filling in um, for Fiona, who's having a great time, I'm sure, away in Hawaii on holiday. But we've just come back from the TV market, MIPCOM, that's held in Cannes in France every year. And uh, I think uh, it was quite a successful trip. Yeah, uh, it was my first time. I know you've been dozens. (laughs) (laughs) It's a regular part of my calendar, it's true. Just to explain for audiences, um, that's why we haven't been regularly putting out the show because we've been busy working while jet-setting around the world, is our excuse. Yes. But uh, while we've been away, there's been uh, quite a dramatic shift, shall we say, in the TV landscape in Australia, which is that a brand new streaming service has launched called Apple TV+. Plus. Um, how can you get Apple TV+, Plus, John? Uh, well, lots of ways. Um, and considering it's Apple, you can actually get it a lot more ways than they usually release services. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their preferred method is that you watch it on an Apple TV box that mm-hmm. I know some of us have in our homes. Um, but apart from that, it's available on basically every other platform as well. So smart TVs, Roku's, et cetera. It is a paid service in Australia. I think it's seven ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. If you recently purchased a new Apple device, however, they've given you a year free, which is very kind handy. Of- for some of us. And yeah, it's all of six days old, launching on the 1st of November. Yeah. So today we're going to take a look at four of the brand new shows that have launched on Apple TV Plus so that you can figure out whether that $7.99 a month is worth it. So let's kick off with probably the biggest, shiniest new show of the four, Morning Wars. Let's hear a bit of it. Eight seconds to you. her. Good morning. I'm bringing you some sad and upsetting news. And while I don't know the details of the allegations... She's throwing me under the bus. Mitch Kessler, my co-host and partner of 15 years, was fired today. You! We are facing the biggest crisis in our history. My life just ended for no good reason. We're in the middle of an epic rebirth. Her sell-by date expired years ago. I want you to start grooming some new people. I don't fit the mold. What mold is that? Any mold, really. Your show sucks. Thank you. It's barely news. I want wardrobe tests, screen tests, makeup tests. We need a contract. Where's legal? Ready? I'm ready. Most people want to trust that the person that is telling them about the world is an honest person. Like you. So Morning Wars, which uh, internationally is called The Morning Show, presumably retitled in Australia because we have a morning breakfast show, you know, kind of called The Morning Show. Yeah, and obviously they were going to get confused. Yeah. Yeah. It stars Jennifer Aniston in her kind of big return to a television series, Post Friends, she obviously pursued the the movie circuit for a while, so this is sort of much anticipated. And Reese Witherspoon is her co-star. And it is set 
hence perhaps the concern about some confusion in the world of morning breakfast TV. What did you think of it, John? I really, really enjoyed it, actually. Um, They've been talking about this one for a while, and it is based on a book that I actually read a couple of years ago called Top of the Morning, written by um, Brian Stetler, a CNN correspondent. Um, So while a completely fictionalised account of life behind the scenes at a breakfast morning show, they've definitely looked to the real world to inspire some of the storylines. The first episode and the first scene basically kicks off with the lead male anchor of the morning show getting fired for sexual misconduct. Yeah, so I thought this was really interesting. I wasn't conscious of the background behind the development of the show, but I think that, uh, you know, it had flashes for me to draw from an SBS example, The Good Fight, which initially was going to be a show about, you know, sort of strong women in the time of President Clinton and then they rapidly had to rework the show because of the election of Donald Trump and that's very much defines what the show is now. And this I sort of thought to myself, I've seen kind of, you know, these light sort of fluffy, frothy takes on the world of breakfast TV in a bit of a sort of rom-com, you know, sphere. And this sort of obviously kind of heavily leans into the Me Too um, movement and kind of how different players in a big network broadcast show how they have to process that and deal with it. Yeah, they even reference in the first episode one, the, their competition whose name I can't remember, Your Day America or something, they talk about how that's the only show in America that hadn't been touched by Me Too yet. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the case in the US. Basically every morning show has had some incident where a male co-host has been fired in the last few years. Yeah. And so Steve Carell plays the co-host of Jennifer Aniston's character, Alex Levy, and they are kind of pitched as the kind of husband and wife to America, you know, the mum and dad, dad, that's right, yeah, the the, um, parents you love to wake up to. And so much of that first episode is about that chemistry that they had sort of now having been shattered, what does that mean for Jennifer Aniston's character in terms of her future career? So you've got the network bigwig who's basically seeing this as an opportunity to, you know, start afresh with brand new talent. And she is very, very angry at Steve Carell's character for what he's done. But partly, I guess, and this is sort of what makes her an interesting character, Part, a, a large part of that is her own selfishness about what this will mean for her career. Yeah, and that she's now basically the face of the show. And, you know, it's not a spoiler, it comes up in the first app. It was very likely that she wasn't actually going to get renewed <laughs> after mm. 15 years on the show. Um, so uh, Steve Carell's indiscretion, not literally Steve Carell, his character's indiscretion actually puts her in this really interesting power position. Yeah, I think that like it had a lot of smacks for me of, you know, these kind of other serious shows about the media. I think the newsroom came to mind. Studio 60. Yeah, I guess a a question for me is how much are they going to be able to talk about these broader social issues within the US, within the confines of this uh, kind of, you know, putting a show together structure. Mm. So I'm curious, I guess, going forward, I I don't think the pilot solved this for me, whether in some ways we were a bit trapped in this world 
that maybe made the show less interesting for me. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that, again, Steve Carell's character, what he's been accused of is also quite ambiguous, which leads to Jennifer Aniston's character also having this sort of strong conflict of, well, here's this man I've sat next to for 15 years who's done something, but... You know, someone yells at him on the street that he raped someone and it starts a fight because he was like, no, I had a consensual affair. I've been fired for that. Like, it's this Mm. idea that there's sort of the ambiguity around why he was fired Mm. and therefore the Jennifer Aniston character still having this, you know, strong emotional connection to this man who's done this terrible thing, but, you know, wasn't a crime. Yeah, and I guess sort of that question about what's that spectrum of unacceptable behaviours and and in terms of morality and legality, I guess sort of that's partly what's playing out in the show. We haven't talked about um, Reese Witherspoon's character, Bradley Jackson, yet. She, I guess, is uh, we are introduced to her as this kind of news reporter for a conservative cable news outlet and she um, is reporting from the scene of a protest at a coal mine and the idea is that she sort of gets provoked by this guy and sort of unleashes this sort of tirade at him that goes viral and and kind of um, brings her to the attention of these morning show producers. I mean, I sort of always feel like Reese does bring a lot of energy and, and, you know, sort of appeal to a role. I just felt that viral moment felt a bit forced. Oh, it was incredible. You know, to Jennifer Aniston's point, she kind of questions how real it was, mm. and it's because it's just so fucking scripted. Like, but I, it but felt it's like not. An, it's not meant to be. No, at it's all. not meant to. But it, it felt like an Aaron Sorkin like powerful speech moment, and I kind of yeah, it didn't really land for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess sort of another reference point for this show is um, Network and, uh, you know, there's the kind of mad as hell kind of line and, and that's sort of what this moment is meant to a little bit be, this kind of, you know, sort of off-the-cuff statement that mm. that reflects how people are really feeling in America today. Potentially a bit of a rod for the show's back because I think it's going to be hard for the show to feel like on the money about the state of mind of Americans on a regular basis. I think that all these shows, like um, The Newsroom, again, I think sort of struggled with that, about being at the forefront of, you know, how Americans are feeling about the world. Yeah. Like, I think it's a really strong world to visit. I think it's a really interesting concept for a TV show. I think there is tons of material that they can work with. You know, obviously the first few episodes are about who's going to overtake Steve Carell's character, where does Reese Witherspoon fit in with all this. Mm. But then once we're settled in sort of at the end of Ep 3, I do wonder, oh, what's the show about now? Yeah. And, you know, that storyline with Reese Witherspoon's character is an interesting one because um, I think that just that idea of an outsider obviously kind of piercing this bubble and the ripples of where that could lead, I think. Is, is enjoyable. So, and again, like this show just looks like so much money. You know, it looks a million dollars because it costs a million dollars. Yeah, well, apparently it cost $15 million an episode. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous. It's like uh, the, the story going around is like that's significantly more than um, Game of Thrones' budget for something that basically takes place inside a television studio. Yes. Although to be fair and credit, credit to them all, um, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell and Reese Witherspoon are probably making up half of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, budget. Someone was telling me that, do you remember when Ian Ross was leaving Channel 7 and mm. nobody knew who was going to overtake him as like the 6pm news anchor? Yeah. Apparently Chris Bath 
just announced that she was taking over at an event mm. w- before it had been signed or confirmed or anything. And that was her, like, power play to get the role, which is the exact same thing that happens in the second episode of this. Jennifer Aniston announces Reese Witherspoon's going to be her co-host even though the network haven't agreed to it because <laughs> she wants to have co-host approval. See, how how much of Australian TV is being reflected in this American yeah. $15 million an episode show? Well, Sunrise and Today Show are in the news, like, every day for their own dramas. So That's true. There's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of meaty stuff to get through. Mm. And I think that it is really nice to see Jennifer Aniston given a meaty role. So much of discussion around her has been around her personal life and, you know, this kind of sad gen mm. idea, which I did listen to a fantastic podcast that kind of unpacked all of that um, that you should seek out. But uh, it is nice to see her back on the screen again. So, um, John, what should we talk about next? Okay, so up next is C. It's a drama set in the sort of distant future about a world where everyone has gone blind and it's been so long that everyone is blind that they don't remember what sight is. In fact, they don't actually believe it's a thing. It stars Jason Momoa, Alfre Woodard, and a large cast of very interestingly um, blind or vision impaired um, actors, which is very interesting. Um, But yeah, let's hear a little bit from the trailer. Centuries from now. Almost all humans have lost the ability to see. Some say sight was taken from them by God. To heal the earth. For the few who remain, vision is only a myth. But after so many years, the power of sight has returned. What is it? Something's different. The children, they have the ability to see. So what did you think, Ben? Well, I think there's a lot of elements that I enjoyed about this. I think um, it may be in the distant future, but, you know, it's very much in that kind of fantasy space. And I think that this show definitely doesn't exist without the success of Game of Thrones. And that's just reflected in Jason Momoa's casting as the lead. Speaking of people getting paid millions of dollars an episode. Yeah. (laughs) I guess sort of what I got off most about this is just sort of that kind of world building idea of how humans adapt to having no sight. Mm. So whether it's a rope that's strung along a pathway so that everyone can kind of guide themselves, how people's senses have lifted to compensate for the lack of sight. So you have people with intense hearing, you have people with kind of a bit of... uh, Sense mood almost. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like sort of getting into a little bit of kind of ESP kind of land. Which they do kind of call witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah, and you know how even how people fight against one another when they can't see their enemy, you know, literally see their enemy. But I think obviously sort of this being a kind of a fantasy show, there's obviously a battle in the first episode mm. and um, it still didn't completely answer the questions to me of like all these excellent warriors, how they weren't entirely sure that they weren't killing people on their own side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so you said Game of Thrones as a reference. Going into it, having just known the premise in the trailer, Mm. I kind of thought we were getting more of a Handmaid's situation. And I thought it was kind of going to be maybe like a heavy-handed allegory for 
what we can't see in the world today or something. Mm. Um, and actually it's just a bunch of fighting. The other sort of reference that I had in my mind is, you know, we've had like these recent kind of horror movies where inability to either make sound or see something plays a big part in the drama. So I don't know. I feel like our senses are really hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I did think it was, you know. And deprivation I, I, of those senses. Yeah. Admittedly, I've, you know, only seen the first episode and they were only rolling out weekly, but I guess I did think it was going to try to say something a bit more than it has so far because it seems pretty standard fantasy stuff to me at this point. Yeah. Like it's very, very beautifully shot, I think, mm. you know, kind of composition of individual shots or kind of, you know, took my breath away a little bit. Mm. And again, I think this is kind of true across like this Apple TV plus slate is that things look really great. But I don't know that I felt a huge emotional buy-in. I mean, I think that this would have made a kind of enjoyable throwaway sort of two-hour flick. Mm. I just, it takes a lot, I guess, sort of to sign up to being immersed in this world for an ongoing story and I don't know that there was enough that felt fresh to kind of get me there. Yeah, I do. You know, obviously we work in television. We're probably very low-hanging fruit for the morning show audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can also see, you know, a wide audience sort of being interested in that for the cast alone. Mm. But I was watching C just kind of thinking who is, like, who is this for? Like, mm. who's getting super excited about this? Is it Jason Momoa fans? Like, yeah. I don't know. Because I think they have treated this like as one of their marquee titles, like along with Morning Wars. I mean, and the marketing, to speak about that for a second, is just a, an image of Jason Momoa's face. So maybe you are right. Maybe he's got like a huge following. I think that sort of, you know, like another kind of interesting element that they've done is kind of mix in um, elements of the haka or, you know, like kind of cultural elements that presumably have persisted mm. over time into this future culture but then but ultimately it's just a kind of swords and axes in the woods kind of world really in the end yeah as we mentioned in the intro i think it's tried to treat the subject of blindness very sensitively mm. not only from a from a production basis but also from the cast and crew i know they talked about i think they they're saying this is the largest ever sort of cast and crew with blind and vision impaired people, yeah. which you would kind of hope it would be to have some authenticity to mm. it. But they've also said that, you know, if the show gets renewed, season two needs to do better at that. Mm. Like they even saw their own failings in this. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting from that perspective because we don't, you know, yeah. are there any other shows that are about hundreds of blind people? Yeah. I mean, it makes me think I'd actually love to go after this and read a review from a vision impaired viewer, yeah. audience member, because is it a show that that works for that audience or like, yeah. is it just sort of meant to be for kind of the broader world's greater understanding of what it's yeah. like to live? Well, I imagine any show that deals with something sort of so specific, the community would be really interested in it, but- whether or not they like it or not is another mm, thing. True. I did find it reassuring because it's kind of just what you got to do these days. But um, all the Apple TV slate has audio description in a bunch of different languages. Mm. So yeah. yeah, they've got those ducks in a row. That's yeah, yeah, that's always good to see. So that was C. Next up, we're talking about the space drama for all mankind. Let's hear a bit. I believe that this nation should commit itself. 
to landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. After thousands of years gazing up in the heavens and dreaming of this day, a man is about to set foot on the moon. Across the world, people wait with bated breath. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a live signal. There he is. The shock across the nation at this event is just indescribable. The Soviet cosmonaut has become the first to set foot on the moon. So For All Mankind is uh, timely in that we are in the 50th anniversary year of the 1969 moon landing this year. And what this show does is take us directly into that time in human history, but create a what-if scenario. So that this is an alternate history series which tells the story within the world of NASA if the Russians had gotten to the moon first. So we begin by reliving the moment of humans' first walk on the moon, but through an entirely different perspective that we're used to, which is rather than getting that celebratory moment that we're used to of, you know, sort of all the world gathering to enjoy what humankind has achieved, instead we're sort of looking through the eyes of a lot of these astronauts in the NASA space program who are all prepared for the US to reach the moon and instead they're seeing the enemy land on the moon and declare it a victory for the Marxist-Leninist way of life. Mm. Um, John, uh, what did you take out of this? Uh, I found it really, really interesting, actually. You know, I knew the premise going in, but to have it open with man landing on the moon and then, of course, the reveal being that it's the Russian flag, not the American flag, was really interesting. But what I guess I hadn't thought about and is what then propels this show forward is America basically just going, well, screw you, like we're going to catch up. Mm. Um, And it then takes it off on this really interesting trajectory. I kind of don't know how far the show can go, I guess. Yeah. Like obviously they're going to send a man to the moon. They then send the first female astronauts into space. Mm. I'm always interested about, you know, much like years and years where it's just about a few years in the future. I just don't know where it goes beyond that. Mm. But what did you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I do think that this is sort of not the the biggest genre, but I think it's just quite an interesting genre. I think the show that comes to mind is uh, Man in the High Castle on Amazon, which sort of is a what-if scenario of if the Axis powers won the Second World War. And I think that it's a useful way of revisiting our history because, you know, it actually forces us to answer those questions about if the path of history had changed, how would our world have changed? And also, you know, what does that say about who we are? So I think the show sort of has a lot of ambition in that that area, which is really great and enjoyable. I think that sort of one of the elements that I enjoyed most, just kind of visually the use of cutting between archive of the lunar missions and the new footage from the series is quite effective. 
in kind of putting you a little bit in that nostalgia bubble, but which the show at the same time is sort of bursting. Yeah. They also do quite well with the Richard Nixon tapes. I, I loved that actually. I, yeah. I think that was one of my most favourite elements that you sort of are seeing still images of Nixon with audio recordings from his tapes mm. of how he's reacting his sort of desire not to be pinned with this failure of of the US space program. And it's done so authentically, you know, that we're kind of in this false narrative of, yeah. of an alternate history. And that sort of just helps kind of ground the whole show, I think. But then we're sort of with these astronauts, so kind of led by Joel Kinnaman, who I feel like is an actor who Hollywood is like, God damn it, we're going to make this guy a star and just keeps on trying. Yeah. And uh, I still feel like almost the entire audience will have no idea who he is. Yeah. But, uh, but Hollywood seems to love him. And then we also get sort of Michael Dorman, the Australian actor, is also his kind of like fly buddy. So these are sort of two of the, the characters through which we see the fallout of the US failure to get to the moon first. So, yeah, I thought that it was very thematically rich. Dramatically, I guess it's hard to say how do you sustain this premise? But I guess, you know, that's that's the challenge for the creators. Yeah, I guess it is interesting as opposed to something like Man in the High Castle or SSGB where it's like, you know, a, a different country won the war. Mm. This is actually quite sort of optimistic in its alternative history as mm. in, you know, a, a path we didn't go down but should have as opposed to, you know, the Germans winning the war. Yeah. There's a, sort of one more show we've got to chat about after this but... Of the four shows, this was the one that kind of grabbed me the most just because I think that uh, there's a currency as well in talking about um, how oh, the US is relating to Russia because, you know, sort of that certainly hasn't gone away. No. And I guess sort of, again, like one of my favourite series of all time is The Americans, which isn't an alternate history but tells the story of, you know, Russian spies sort of deeply embedded within US culture in the midst of the Cold War. And this show obviously thrusts us into the middle of the Cold War. And I just feel like it's a part of our history that is just very illuminating about, you know, kind of the way that we construct our national identities and the way that we paint a picture of what an optimistic future vision of of the world that we want to live in looks like. Yeah. And whenever there's an anniversary for the moon landing, everyone kind of goes like, why aren't we back there? Or like, why don't we have flying cars? Why aren't there hotels in space? Mm. And it's kind of like, well, because the world's biggest government that was spending the most money investing in this kind of gave up. Mm. Let's move on to our last show. So this is the last um, show of the scripted originals that Apple TV Plus launched just over the weekend. And this is called Dickinson. Tell me about it, John. So it stars Haley Steinfeld as the American poet, Emily Dickinson. It's tonally very unique, um, but let's get a taste of that now. Check me out. I'm a man. <laughs> I do what I want. I go where I want. I have the right to vote. I can legally own property. What are they so afraid of? Maybe they're scared that if they teach us how the world works, we'll figure out how to take over. Mm. Mm. Oh my God, he's so insane. Of course she's insane. She's Emily Dickinson. You're going to make a good housewife one day, Emily. Oh yeah, I'm a real catch. You need to cut out these sort of antics. 
Are you getting married? I have one purpose. And that is to become a great writer. Because I could not stop for death. He kindly stopped for me. Nice to see you. So I actually really enjoyed this. Um, going in, I kind of had no interest, mm. um, mainly because, uh, embarrassingly, I didn't really know who Emily Dickinson was and assumed she was British. <laughs> um, but between the few episodes of this that I've watched and um, you know a bit of time on Wikipedia, yeah. um, I've actually found it fascinating. What did you think? Well, I think that Wikipedia is like a good accompaniment to all these shows. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm probably not as kind on it as you. I mean, you know, like I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I guess my initial reaction, I reacted a bit against it. I felt like I was watching an elongated drunk history sketch. I felt like I was watching like drunk person tell me who Emily Dickinson was and and they're like, well, Emily Dickinson's mum really wanted them to get married. Yeah. And we kind of like see that stuff. So, and I also felt like tonally it was a bit all over the place. So you've got Jane Krakowski um, playing her mother and, you know, we know her from 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt and and I feel like, you know, she feels like she's in a sketch. Yeah. Um, she's playing it very broad. And then I feel like the sketch is what if like one of our literary giants was a bratty teen mm. and uh, that's how Hayley Steinfeld is playing her character. Yeah. So... I can see that it has legs, but <laughs> I wasn't really prepared to give it that chance. But tell me more about why I should watch some more. Uh, well, I get well, based on the trailer, I didn't have that much interest. And then based on some of the reviews, I also didn't have that much interest. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, a few minutes in, I will say this. it's I feel like it's the most confident of the shows. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a big call. Like, you know, not to go back to For All Mankind, but... Mm. That first episode was like 20 minutes too long. <laughs> um, and maybe it was that Dickinson did feel really short and sharp and know what it was trying to do. And even though some of the skit is, oh, yeah, isn't it funny that Emily Dickinson was probably a bratty millennial mm. like we would make fun of today. Yeah. She also had this really rich inner life, this really weird social life as, you know, women of the day did. And it was her pursuing this passion that as a woman of the time she wasn't meant to mm. um, and not knowing what to do with that. And I think one of the sort of reviews that I'm sure some people saw was like, why is Wiz Khalifa in... <laughs> in Dickinson, because it is sort of a, a weird cameo, but it all works. Like, I don't know if in the show it's meant to be that she's having a mental breakdown or that she's doing opium or or that, you know, she just has this rich inner world. Mm. But I really did enjoy sort of like the dreamlike sequences where Wiz Khalifa turns up or where parts of her most famous poems sort of come to life, like literally on screen, you see mm. them written out. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was really strong and like I said, probably the most confident in terms of its tone and what it was going for. And while I think some people will hate it, <laughs> um, I also think some people will love it. You touched on this with C about sort of who is it made for. I guess sort of my question is when we look at all these shows, has Apple done the right thing in terms of who they've tried to appeal to across the four? Is there enough here that Apple are going to get people subscribing? I think that's a very good question. And I think almost every TV service, whether it's a channel or a streaming service or whatever, when it launches with its first few originals, mm. it still doesn't know what it's trying to do. Yeah. Like... Um, we should cut it some slack, are you saying? Well, we should cut it some slack. They've also got, you know, 45 more originals <laughs> coming out. But that said, 
outside of um, not to quote a press release, but outside of sort of them calling themselves the home of the world's most creative storytellers, mm. there isn't too much of a brand position for this service. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just Apple making TV with people you've heard of. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is, you know, a pretty cool concept. Yeah. But, or, well, is it not just um, Netflix and Amazons? Yes. Yeah. I just think it's it's still quite broad. I still mm. don't think people know what they're going to get out of any of these shows. I don't think any of these shows are breakout hits. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Apple will have a breakout hit, the yeah. money they're throwing at this. But... I find it interesting that these are the launch shows and this is their sort of statement of intent about what the service is going to be. Because for me, they're all sort of like mildly interesting and I'll probably stick with the morning show. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, I'm not sure what they're doing. That said, this is like a really unique period in time in that how often does a TV channel launch with, you know, a dozen originals straight out of the gate knows exactly what it is. Yeah, that's um, true. Like we're in yeah. this really I think I think that we set the bar really high when we like um judge these now, but yeah. you know, if you look back at history, the very same could be said for Netflix. Yeah, well, you know, Netflix rode House of Cards for however long as their brand defining thing. Apple can't launch with one show. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, and you know, AMC's maybe the best example of a channel that didn't even launch, it just sort of launched its own originals. Yeah. But to come out of the gate with Breaking Bad and Mad Men yeah. and then not long Walking after Dead. it, Walking Dead, mm. like people talk, still talk about it because it's so rare yeah, yeah, <laughs> to have yeah. that many hits that confidently that early in your original slate. For sure. So I think like every service that ever launches, they're going to figure out who their audience is, they're going to figure out what works and what doesn't work and they'll lean into it and they yeah. have the money and the resources to do that. But I think right now... You know, this service is launched in 100 countries. I'm sure there's a few million people watching these shows. And, you know, who the hell knows who the few million people are going to be watching it in, in a couple of months or a couple of years. So I think it's really interesting. I think something that I also only noticed today because I only saw it on an Apple press release that came out in line with the launch, but they've started to refer to Apple TV Plus as the world's first all-original service. Yeah. So I find it interesting that they're, basically going out there saying we're not going to we're not going to acquire stuff yeah. we're not going to have a big back catalog just every month we're going to drop a couple new shows from really interesting people mm. and that's what we are i guess sort of they've got the advantage of that being the tech company apple because sort of they also have their business model of selling other people's tv shows via itunes but then they also house a lot of other people's streaming services and catch up tv services so yeah. that in a way, they can be a one-stop shop for all that other content without having and, – and just be kind of trying to add this cream on the top. Yeah. I don't know whether to admire them for this or kind of question their business sense, but in comparison to Amazon, which has leaned very heavily into existing IP from books, which kind of makes sense from a brand, which still a lot of people associate as being, you know, an online bookseller, mm. and that's sort of been – led a lot of Amazon's commissions is uh, adaptations of book series. And these, they're not known adaptations. And I guess sort of the other comparison streaming service that I'm sure we will make um, not very long in the distant future is Disney Plus, which um, sort of comes out on the 12th in the US and then a week later here in Australia. And that's obviously all built on these mega brands of Marvel and Star Wars, etc. And a hundred years back catalogue. Yeah. Which again differentiates it from Apple. 
Mm. But yeah, I think it's really interesting to go out and just say, we're going to make originals. We're not going to be Disney+. Plus. We're not going to be HBO Max. We're, we're not shouting about having 10,000 hours of content. Mm. We're just going to, you know, drip feed you these interesting things. And maybe that's enough for this service. You know, I've spent more time in the Apple TV app in the last week than I'd spent ever previously. Maybe that's a measure of success for them. Mm. Well, I think hopefully that's useful for those of you at home about whether you want to sign up to Apple TV+. Plus. That's it for our show. Make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us lots of stars, leave a nice review, and it helps people to find the show. And you can let us know what you thought of the four shows that we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. And I'm on Twitter at iDance. The playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week, John. See you then. If we are here to yeah, yeah, next, week, we're, next week. Yeah, we, maybe we, we may be jet setting around the world. Yeah. But, you know, sort of whatever happens, happens. Yeah, come back soon, Fiona. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.